Okay, we are doing a mini-series on some tough questions. These are questions um, that I have answered in the adult class as well because they're tough life questions. But we need, we need to start with one of the basic things that people struggle with the most. All right, we are going to talk about love. Love. Oh, dear God. So, I can say that I love donuts. <laughs> yep. Paula's donuts. Or I love donuts. Yeah, duck donuts Duck's are good. Donuts. But I really love cheese-filled donuts. <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bavarian cream. Bavarian cream is very good. Oh, if you want. All right. right and you can love a donut, right? Yeah. You can love a donut. But now you can love a person. You can also. You can also love your children, and I do. Did you know love there's mine. actually a Greek and word for that? There is. There are many Greek words, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. We, you can also, I love PB Blaster. Does anybody know what PB Blaster is? It's like a drink. It is not. Do not drink it. <laughs> it is a penetrating oil that oh. fixes rusty bolts. And I love it. PB Blaster. Not Phoebe Blaster. Although you could blast you with it and then it would be Phoebe Blaster. So, so, I love PB Blaster because it does great things for me. Sir. Right? It keeps things lubricated. I spray it on parts on my vehicles. When I have to get a bolt out, I spray it. It's penetrating oil. I love it. It's great because it saves me time. It sounds like a drink. There it is be, not. There used to be a drink by that its name. Like, people called it that for short, but it was like Blitz Blast. Oh, no. This is PB be blaster. Wow. By the way, there's a whole family of blaster materials and some are oh. some sprays, they do different things. Anyways, PB blaster, I love that and I love my wife. Right? So we use in English and you're right, we use one word to describe all of all the forms of love, whether I love a donut or I love my wife, or I love my children, or I love PB Blaster, okay? But obviously, that's something different. Each of them is a little different. I hope that I do not love PB Blaster in the same way that I love my wife or my children, okay? So, with that, in the Bible, What's important about the Bible when we start out to understand the word love is that the Bible is written in a couple different languages originally. Which languages and what parts? Hebrew. Hebrew. Yeah. Hebrew for what part? Um, the, the New Testament? No. The Old Testament. The Old Testament. I know. It was written in Latin. So, yes, eventually it got into those languages. But first of all, we're going to finish the Old Testament. The, the, it was mostly written in Hebrew, okay? But there is another language that's used in some of it. And here's the reason why. Some of, most of the time when they wrote the book in Hebrew, it was the Hebrew people living in the land of Israel or somewhere that was um, amiable to them, right? That was okay with them. Was it the language that was like the, for the common people? So, well, Hebrew was for all the people, okay? They had one language. But when they moved, when they were taken as slaves to other places like this place, the... Um, city of Babylon, 
They were taken as slaves. Some of the Bible was written. Can you name any book written when they were in captivity? And there are a few. Wasn't there two languages, though? Because didn't the priests do a different language that the people couldn't understand? Greek, when that Jesus is, was here? That, no, no, no. So, you're mixing up a few things that are happening. Okay. But let's let's finish this, and I will get you there. Okay? So, when, nobody knows any of the, anybody know one of the people that were in captivity? Moses. Who was the one taken by King Nebuchadnezzar? David. No, who was in the lion's den? Daniel. Daniel, okay. So he wrote things, along with some others, in a language called Aramaic. Oh. Okay, so most the most of the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the rest of it was in Aramaic. And then something happened in the world. No, no not yet. That's, that's way earlier. That's way earlier it happened. That's why there are different languages. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay? But something happened in the world that was important when we, you first hear the Christmas story in Luke. You say, um, and there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping their watch over the flocks by night. But before that, it says... When Cyrenius was governor of Syria, okay, who taxed who? The Roman, the Roman people. Taxed the people of their land. Ta oh. Taxed the people of their land, okay? Oh, yeah. So, back to here. Back to the map. The different religions. Okay, hold on, don't go to there yet. Oh, dear God. This reminds me of a horrible joke. All right, so here, the, here is this. This is the Mediterranean Sea, right? This is Israel, which is way smaller compared to Greece and Italy, but I'm just drawing it on here, right? This is Egypt and Africa down here. Basically, what happened when Jesus was born, the Romans had taken over, okay? The Romans took over. Their seat of power was in Rome. That's why the Romans. Okay. Oh, and they took over everything from way up in here all the way up Spain. Basically, all the way around the Mediterranean Sea. They they took it all, and they said, "Mare Nostrum." Mare Nostrum. Our little Our little lake. This is ours. We own it because we took it all. But they were not the first to take over large parts of the world. In fact, the Greeks, now, the Greeks had taken over well before the Romans. They had multiple names for love, including Eros. Under, yes, they did. And they feared the word Eros due to its meaning. Well, there's actually more important words than that we will find. The Greeks spoke which language? Greek. A Greek. <laughs> That's good. I'm very glad. What? Okay. And and who was the leader of the Greeks that took over? Somebody the Great. Alexander. Alexander the Great took all over. And what Alexander the Great did? Didn't he? It wasn't there Alexander the Great that killed Napoleon. It was like Alexander no. first. No. 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 That was different. Different. Different time period by a long time. Probably uh, about 1,400 years different. Okay? Yeah. So here is the Greeks. They take over under uh, essentially most of the same area. A lot of their concentration, of course, this is Greece up here, right? Um, the Peloponnesian Peninsula. Okay? That is Greece. That's included in there. And... <coughs> They take over a lot down in um, northern Africa. Alexandria, which is where it comes from, Alex the Great, okay, along with many other Alexandrias, because when your emperor is named Alex, you come up with a whole lot of, hey, we, we're making another town called Alexandria, everywhere we take over. But Alexandria, which I believe was in Egypt, was known as the greatest library in all the world, okay? 
it was what they think was the largest library in all the world. Burned down, taken over, of course, by later um, taken over. But with, with the Greeks taking over, the Greeks were much more concerned about spreading their culture because Alexander the Great knew that his army, though it was powerful, would never hold everybody to be under the Greek Empire unless if he changed their culture. And so, he spread Greek philosophy, he spread Greek language, he spread Greek anything he could to everywhere around. Art and culture, the Greek gods and goddesses, he tried to really spread them around. And so he did. He was very successful. And so all of this area, all the way around, spoke Greek. Everybody spoke Greek. What did the Romans, what was their official language? Anybody know? Wasn't it like, did someone spoke like Greek? No. I could tell you, but, oh. Latin. Latin. Latin was their official language, the Romans. But when they took over, they were more worried about holding areas through their powerful army and less worried about culture. And so the Latin language, though it became a lot of basis of many things, was not as strong as the Greek. The Greek language was expressive and it was used in a lot of different ways to explain things. Yeah, like ludos, which means playful love. Like it friendship. does. It does. So we will get there. We will get there in just a moment. But you got to know the background. So while Jesus was there, Jesus was born, right, in Bethlehem, everybody already spoke Greek and Hebrew, okay? And so the priests used the original Hebrew language, okay, and Hebrew money and all this, but they all spoke Greek, and Greek was everywhere. Okay, because Greek became like English is today. Greek was the language of business. So if you wanted to sell things and trade things all around, use Greek. And that's what you learned. Okay, when I was in Norway, I met my cousins for the first time, and many of them spoke English. And they said, our father sat us down when we were young and said, you will learn English because that's the only way you're going to do well in business. And it's true, they all do their business in English. And they go home and speak Norwegian. Okay? So that's much like what would happen here, is that at home they're all speaking Hebrew. But they go out to sell fish to somebody in the marketplace that's not a Hebrew person, and they're doing it in Greek. Okay? So everybody could speak Greek. Some could read, some could not. When the Bible was written, the New Testament, it was written in Greek. Okay? So, written in a likely a more common language, although um, not the language of the people. And yet, the people were the same group of people, the Israelites, that wrote the Bible. Time and time and time again. Same nation. It's just they underwent hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years really, between when they started the Bible and when they finished the Bible. So we see that transition to Greek. An important part of Rome having taken over is now you have a language that is Greek that everyone speaks. Writing this brand new book, the New Testament, and what was Rome famous for? Roman Empire went everywhere and they built something that they were famous for. And there's a saying, all, all, roads, lead to Rome. all roads lead to Rome, right? So God has created the perfect little nest in all of men's circumstances with which to raise the church in that brand new story that came out about Christ. He has a language which everybody speaks because earlier, before they were taken over by the Greeks, 
Every little town spoke a different language. Every little area spoke a different language, a different dialect. But by this time, the whole known world was speaking Greek. And it was a common language. Pretty smart on God's part, right? Well, not only that, but now, under the Greeks, it was not safe to travel. But under the Romans, they created roads and safe passage because they want business in Rome. So the world can be traveled and they can get everything. So what else travels on those same roads? People going to spread the gospel. That's where Paul gets into it. Okay. Now, love, way back when we talked about the Greek language, so you need to understand, Greek language is very expressive. So the words for love, there are many of them. Okay. And what they feared the most was arrows. Well, that's not quite true. It is one that we talk about the most in today's society. But it is the, one the Greeks originally feared. They actually, philia, philia, Yep, deep friendship, I believe. Yep, was actually the one that they had the most reverence for. Yeah, there also was another one that meant kindness to strangers. Yep, we'll go through a few of them. Just give us a chance to get down. So, philia, there's a word that looks similar to that or a place you know. Philadelphia. Philadelphia, and that is the city of brotherly love, okay? So, Philadelphia just simply means the city of brotherly love. This is equal to equal friendship. Okay? Equal to equal. Alright? Now, one of the next ones is called storge. Now, these are all words they know all words that the Greeks know and use differently. When they say, I love PB Blaster, they don't use the word, I, philia. Okay, PB Blaster. They use a whole other set of words. In fact, that's, they don't even use the word love, right? They use other words to describe it because that's not what we mean when I say I love PB Blaster. I know, but if it did, it mean you have a deep connection right. to Frederick Right, a deep know. connection to PB Blaster or a deep <laughs> connection to my donuts. And that's not really true, right? So when we read, but what our language, to finish up where we go, we started in Greek, right? The New Testament was translated from Greek into Latin. Where they change the word God. The Latin, please listen, the, the Latin was what many of the early church members using. Why did they use it? Because we're talking about 200 BC, 300 BC, who's in control? Rome's in control. That's why they used it, right? Rome was interested in controlling everything from the beginning. So we're going to put the most powerful seat of our church in our capital city, and we are going to use our language to translate it into it, something called the Vulgate, okay, the Latin Vulgate, which was one of the original translations. It is a translation from Greek to Latin. What happens when you translate from one language to another? It's hard for people to read. They want things to really get messed up. No, the, well, things get, they say like things get lost in translation. So like the meaning behind things kind of gets blurred. Could be, right? There, yeah. There's things that translate nicely and then there's things that are like, hmm. In this language, it really means this very clearly. In this language, you get it but you might not get that there's a little bit deeper, because, something a little deeper to it. Because there's not, like, sometimes there's not words in a new language right. that like, mean the same thing. Right. So our Bible, the one that I'm using today is a King James Bible, happens to be what I have picked to use for this, although I use a lot of other uh, versions. It was translated from Greek into English. And there were multiple translators, and this was translated back with at, in the 1600s. Okay, 1611, this was translated, which means not that it's better, it just means it's older, that's all. There are modern translations, and some translate every word specifically. Some translate what's called a paraphrasing, 
language. There are ones like the Phillips translation or the Good News translation that paraphrase things and they try to get the meaning of the passage much more than the specific words. Which was one is better? There is one. Well, whatever one gets you to understand, right? So I wouldn't say one's better. Now, why do we use one particular one here often? It's continuity. It's so that when you, when I read something, you can follow along. It's not like, well, mine says all different. It means the same, but we try to use it just to help you understand. It is not our goal to tell you that's the only Bible. It is our goal to help you understand what is in the Bible. Right? So we've got to start from somewhere. That's the reason we pick something to go with. Lots of times I use other translations just to help me understand because there can be things where I read something and say, oh, that's, wow, that's totally different. And I have sometimes versions I can read in the morning because my head is not quite so clear at 4.30 in the morning as it might be at 8.30 in the morning, right? And I can't focus my brain to get it. I want to read it and I want it to fall in and not just fall out, right? So other versions can be used whenever, for whatever reason. But the idea is to get you closer to the point of God. With that being said, when they translated into English from the Greek, um, when that happened, in the English language, there wasn't the words for love that there was in Greek. And so that's why it helps to go back and say, okay, there's a brotherly love called phileo. There is a love for children, yes, Kind of, it's more of a familial love or a familiar love. Okay. It is from father to child or within a family. It's much more um, the things you do in your family, right? Are you're familiar with the place? You know how you can act. You know the boundaries and the edges. You push them half the time, right? That's what happens, but you're familiar with it, and there's a level of love within your family, okay? And that's a familiar love. I don't have to dress up fancy for you in my home every day when I step out of my bedroom. I look how I look, right? And I'm familiar with you. So I'm okay with that. All right, and then there is Eros. The one that they, that our paper that I read from my teacher, Ms. Condi, said that the Greeks feared that word in the beginning. Well, there are two different things, Eros and Ludus, which you had mentioned, and these are both man and what the love between a man and a woman. And one, the Ludus side, you can think of as playful, as sort of a young love, right? Yes. These are two young people in love, and they can live on love, and they don't need anything else, and everything's so wonderful. Do you know the Max version of Ludus is considered to be dancing with a stranger? I did not know that. So, Eros is more of a sexual love. Ludos is more of the young love, but either way, it's a man and a woman, okay? Specific to that. Neither of these are in the Bible, okay? There are other words that describe this relationship, but they don't use this word love to describe that relationship. There are many other words that they use to describe relationship between men and women. So, though it is the focus of so many things today, and our world has become uh, hyper-focused on that. Sadly. It is not what the Greeks thought was important. They felt philea was a very important love. But there are more. Okay? There's pragma love. Now, by the way, I'm not going through all of them. There are more. I'm just going through one more beyond that. But pragma is like that enduring love. So you can picture that's a pragmatic thing, yeah, yes, right? So, long standing. Yep. So it means imagine 
a couple that's married married for 50, 60 years. They're very familiar with one another. Aww. They care about one another. They've chosen to live their life together for that long. They've committed. Each of them have given in things. Um, and they don't have to do this for that person and this for that person. Sometimes they're just satisfied to be together, right? When you're young, you have higher expectations in relationships, some of which are not realistic. <laughs> but there's a pragmatic love to say, it's important that we're together because we need to help each other. When you get old, you need to help each other. That's what happens because things will fail in both of you physically, mentally, and things will be hard in the end days of your life. So it talks about not only a couple that's 60 years old, but also a friendship that's lasted a lifetime. That is a pragmatic love. I do this for you because I know you need it done for you. Okay? I care about you. I check on you every day. I call you as a friend. I, whatever it is, it's somebody that's been there through thick and thin on all of life. Now, there is a love which you probably heard of also, which is agape love. Okay? I remember that one from class, but I don't remember what to mean. Agape love means this actually was the highest form of love because each one of these you get something out of. Okay? All of this you are kind of looking for something back where agape love is a selfless love. Isn't it like kindness to a stranger? Much more than that. That's what they called it. And they said that the world was running very low on it. How right. Well, this is true. No desires from someone else. No expectations of anyone else. I will do this for you. And I will give of myself to you regardless. Now, agape love is throughout the New Testament. That is one. Now, phileia, is other, other ones are used in some other places. But agape love is what we are focused on. And here's what we want to learn. Okay, We want to learn about this because this explains what we need to know about God before the next couple weeks when we answer some very difficult questions. Okay? So, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And in almost every one of these words, when you read, this is one of the chapters on love in the Bible. It is not the famous one that everybody reads, during weddings and things. Um, we will eventually spend a little bit of time on that. But this one is one of the great chapters on love because it explains God. Almost every single word love in here can be taken and put in, in place of it, agape. Okay, some of the tenses are different, so it is loved instead of love, and it changes the word agape slightly. But it has the same root and meaning, okay? So you can think of selfless love when you think of this. This is how it is described. Verse number 7 of chapter 4, we're going to start with that, and I want you to read through uh, verse 7 and 8, please. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth that knoweth not God, for God is love. Okay. This is pretty clear. It not only identifies God directly as love. God is selfless love. Agape. God is that. And they said in that verse, if you know God then you have to love. You have to agape love. You have to be selfless in your love. It's not what can I get from this. It is what can I give to others. 
If you approach every relationship with this selfless love, which will be impossible for you, I'm going to tell you right now, it's impossible for you to do this. But we will get to that point in just a moment. If you really, truly know God, then you have to love. And if you are not a loving person, then you don't know God. That's what that verse says. That's pretty hard. Because how many people do you know, even in a church setting, that have done or said a mean thing to you that you said, boy, that's not loving at all? How many things have Zero. how many things have you said? Well, I'm glad you haven't seen many, but I've seen lots over my lifetime. How many things have I said that were selfish and not because of what just they were just because of what I wanted, not was because of what was better for the other person. Alright? That's when the number gets high. That's when the number gets high, yep. So Here's the core of that question. And John says, do you really know God? If God is love, you can't know him if you don't have love. And yet, that order is so tall, you could never fill it. So let's keep reading. Verse 8 and 9, please. Or, sorry, 9 and 10. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sin, for our sins. Okay, yep, propitiation. So, first of all, let's talk about a manifest. That word manifest. Uh, recently... I went to New York City and went to Ellis Island. Okay. And at Ellis Island, we searched out my grandfather's name. My grandfather came from Norway in 1930 on a ship called the Stavanger Ford from Oslo, Norway. Okay. It sailed from Oslo, Norway in 1930 and landed in basically at. Uh, the harbor in New York City, putting him and his family onto Ellis Island. In we, when we looked that up, we found what is called a ship's manifest. Okay, that ship's manifest. Now there are different types of manifests. One can be a manifest of goods that's carried on a ship, but one also is a manifest of people. Some planes even have that. Yep. So you do. You have names of people because you want to know what got on board. You need to declare everything about what is on board. You're going to put it all out there. There's no hiding things. You put them all on the manifest. All for everybody to see. So in the ship's manifest, you can go. I got copies of it. You can go and read my grandfather's true name which is not what they called him for his entire life. What was his name? His name was Torleif, or Torolf Udnit. Torleif Udnit, I'm sorry. Torleif Udnit. Yes, Coxness, Grimstad, and on and on and on. Okay? Oh, man. <laughs> so, they called him Udnit. Torolf, okay? So we had heard this story for a long time, but until you read the ship's manifest, you could not guarantee or verify that that's actually truly what happened. Right? But there it is written out for everyone to see, and the world, if they cared, could look and see and say, that's his name and that's how it's spelled. It is written that on the ship's manifest. It is. That's how many people in Norway in his time period. So, when they did that, it explained everything for anybody who wanted to read it. And you were, as the captain and as the officers on board of the ship, you were to give the manifest to people where your port was when you were leaving, you'd write it all down, and when you ended up where the port was, where you, where you were dropping things off. You were to say, here's what's on my ship. I'm declaring what's on my ship. 
here's the manifest. It's everything. And it literally says there's 30 souls coming over from Norway to America. Okay. What if there was a secret one that slipped off, a little kid hiding in a suitcase? Then you weren't really putting them on manifest, right? So the point is of a manifest is that it is declaring everything about it. It's opening it up for the world to see. You can read it. You can read his name. You can look and say, on this ship, on this date, this happened. So what is manifest, it says in that verse, in this, the love of God was manifest towards us. In other words, it was fully declared out there for everybody to see. Anybody can read it. You, you know what's on board, right? And what was on board? How was it declared so the world could see it? Second half of the verse says it. What does it say? Verse number nine. Second half of the verse. Okay, that we might live through him. So God says, I am going to put on this writing of the world. This is the way I'm going to tell the whole world what I really feel about them. That manifests. It manifests his love towards us. In other words, it declares his love to us. Imagine just God like that. Sitting there writing down every single person in the world's name. So he is saying, I love you, and here's the proof that I love you. I'm writing it out like this. The proof is, I'm sending my son to earth to die for you. And that word propitiation that you read basically, essentially, means payment for. He's going to redeem you. He's coming to buy you back. And that's part of the manifest. God's love is expressed towards us through Christ in the world. Okay? Verse number 10 and 11, please. Oh, we already read 10. I'm sorry. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So it didn't matter that we didn't love God first because what kind of love was it? Unconditional. Unconditional. Selfless love. And that was the highest form of love because he did it without expectation. He did it of sheer love for us. Well, he knew this was already going to happen to begin with. He did. He knew we were going to turn against him, and he still sent his most precious son to die. And he knew that you and I would say mean things, nasty things, not learn quickly, do things in our life, continually do things that mess up, and he still sent him. He didn't say, you got one chance and you're done. He said... Like with the angels. Yep. He said, I'm sending him because I want you to know how much I love you. And I will be patient with you. And I will help you. And I will walk with you. And that's how much I love you. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. We love one another. God both in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, so here it is. If God loved us this much, then I ought to treat you and you and you and you and you and you and everybody I see with love. Which is not phileia, brotherly love. It is not storge, familiar love. It is not eros or ludus or, or pragma. It is agape love. Now if it was eros, that would definitely be a problem. It would be. You don't deserve it but I give it to you. And that's what, if God treated us that way, we ought to do that. And how can we do that? That second verse said it. How do we do it? The only way we do it, God lives in us. If and his, love exactly us. his love is perfected in us. In other words, his perfect love comes in an imperfect being. We mess everything up. 
And he comes in and says, I am going to still work through you and do amazing, amazing things through an imperfect being. And that's how big and good and amazing and perfect my love is for you. So he comes in and says, I make this right. Next verse, 13 and 14. Hereby know we that dwell in him, and that he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Okay, so here's how we can do perfect love. God's in us. God perfects his love through us. And the perfects is not a mate. He's making it perfect. Okay? He is actively doing it. Which means in your life, he's changing you to reflect more of his love. His love is perfect. It's like the sun and the moon. Right? Sometimes the moon doesn't do a good job reflecting the sun at night. Right? When... It's in the wrong places. It cannot fully reflect the sun. But some beautiful night with a full moon, you walk out and you say, man, it's almost as bright as day out here. Now, it's not really as bright as day, but it's amazing the light that can be given off. And that moon has no quality of light. It's it only reflected through the moon. Just reflects it. Same thing with us. The more we reflect God's love through us and learn to reflect God's love, the more people will say, you're very different. What makes you different? It's attractive. Just like the moon is very attractive. It's a beautiful sight to look at the moon. And you say, wow, look at the light of the moon. Say, not the light of the moon. That's the light of the sun. But it's in a dark place. Same thing with us. We live in a dark world. And the more we shine for Christ, the more we reflect his love, the more people look and say, wow, that's, you're a very different person. But you have to live with this love. And the love, not that I want something from somebody, although these loves are okay in, in the places where they fit, but the love that says, says that you are of God is agape says, I will do this because he loved me. So I'm going to give to them. He loved me unconditionally. I have to learn to love others unconditionally. And that's a part of actually having a change in us. The way we do it is because the Spirit comes in us. The Spirit of God lives in us and changes us. And we begin to reflect more of Christ through us. Just because we don't reflect Christ does not mean that Christ is not fully shining as his own. Just like the sun. The sun never changes. It is a constant, although I know there's small changes within the sun itself. But it is essentially a constant of light. It just can't always be seen from where you are in the earth. The sun might implode soon. Maybe. I'll hope I'll be in God's hands way before then. So, either way, either way, learn to reflect it. Okay? Wherever you are. Uh, verse number... Verse on 15. 15. Go ahead and read it, please. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And 16, please. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. All right. So, again, it is love and God are used interchangeably. If you're going to live in, in God, if you're going to be a godly person, you have to love. There's no way around it. Continue, please. There 
is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Okay, so here is an interesting set of couple verses. Back when I was younger, and my children were younger as well, I would take them, hold them up in the air, and throw them and catch them. I never dropped one, no, okay? Not when one? I was throwing them. <laughs> Other times, but not that. So, so, they loved it. And why did it, does a baby love to be thrown? You don't know, right? <laughs> well, think about this. There is something that makes them okay with it. If you were thrown today, if I could pick you up and throw you 10 feet into the air. I would honestly trust in you for everything. So they, like, I would come right down. So, like, they have no choice. They have to trust that you'll catch them and they. Right. They total trust. Total trust, right? I would come down ready to punch the person that threw me in the air. Right? Total trust. And now, if I was to pick you up and if I could throw you 10 feet into the air, you would not trust that I would catch you. No, I was Your trust, right? Your trust is broken now. Right? But. There is actually, if I was to throw you up into the air 10 feet, you might be a little afraid when you come down of what would happen, right? <laughs> this is what God says, perfect love. Not any love, not a little bit of love, but perfect love drives away all fear. In fact, perfect love takes away Anxiety, so love, perfect love, again, perfect love, removes anxiety and fear. It throws it right away. There is no fear in that baby's feelings because it has no reason to distrust anything. It has full trust. I mean, it does have a reason to distrust a dog if it accidentally bites it off its toe. Right, but I'm not talking about a dog. I'm talking about throwing a baby and having trust. There are many things in the world that seem like they should, that, that would be something you would distrust. In this world, the world's full of stuff. You could name stuff all night long. A fair but what nice. you But what you know is that if you find true love, Perfect love, there can be perfect trust, which brings no fear. And where do we find true love? God only has perfect true love, right? It is not in the Disney movie that you find perfect true love, although oh, I'm sure God. the stories are wonderful. There's not really perfect love amongst original, humans. In the original stories, most but, of those characters die. But there is perfect love in God which says, I can trust you no matter what. <clears throat> I can trust you regardless of anything that happens. I have no fear. I have no anxiety. I can believe that you have got my back all the time. You will not drop me. You will not let me go. You will always have me. You will always catch me. And so love is kind of triangulated with faith, trust. If I trust, God loves me. That's actually faith. And that's why they keep translating it back and forth. If you're in God, you love. There's no other way around it. You have to trust God implicitly. Such a way that the baby trusts his father and doesn't think twice that you've got me. 
It doesn't think, well, I've calculated the g-force, I've calculated my weight and distance, and I know that gravity is 9.82 whatever meters per second squared and 10 feet in the air coming down, you can't possibly hold your arm. It doesn't think about that. Honestly. It trusts fully with no anxiety and no fear. Sir, this woman trusted her ferret that same way, and her ferret ran off with a napkin cover. So, right, but don't trust the ferret. We're not talking about that. We're talking about trusting God and having perfect love, right? So, that's the type of love, perfect love casts out all fear. In fact, it brings boldness. And that's why, because God loves us, we have a boldness which is weird. And the weird boldness is we are able to walk in front of God's throne. And we're able to say, I'm a believer and I'm a child of God. And I'm going to stand in front of God's throne. There would be total fear if you did not have the love of God in that mix. Because there's no way you could stand. There's no way I could stand. I've already done way too many wrong things in my life. But without forgiveness, I can't stand. With forgiveness, I can have boldness and go to God's throne and ask Him for things. And so the friendship, the love, begins in that triangle of trust and love and faith grows in my life all based on the fact that God did it first. God reached out first, not me. I couldn't do it. I have no power to do it. God has all the power to do it. Right? So knowing that and knowing these things, when we get finally down to verse 4 of chapter 5, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So the faith, again, is perfect trust, no fear, in God. It all is the basis. It's all stemming from love. And you need to understand that piece before we talk about next week some hard questions and the following week some hard questions. Well, what about hell? If God loves unconditionally, what about hell? And why do bad things happen? If God loves us unconditionally, it's the devil. Why do babies die? The devil. No, there's a much more uh, important explanation. We will get to those things in the next couple of weeks. But you need to understand the basis of the core of where we begin with God, and that God is love. All right, thank you very much. Have a good night.